This episode is brought to you by Shieldmade MX, a brand new arcade-style shoot-em-up from Hit P Studio. Adding a new twist to classic shoot-em-ups such as Gradius and R-Type, in Shieldmade MX you absorb enemy bullets to power up your ship and rack up high scores. Featuring a fantastic soundtrack and frenetic gameplay, Shieldmade MX is out now on Steam and coming to consoles later in 2023. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to my perfect console. I'm Simon Parkin. Each episode, I invite a guest to pick the five video games they would like to immortalise on their very own fictional games machine. Perhaps it was the first game they received as a birthday present, or the one that so obsessed them that it caused them to fail their exams. Or maybe it was the only thing that got them through a breakup. Games like songs often become powerfully attached to a particular moment in our lives. When we return to them, they can become warp points to the past. So join me, Simon Parkin, on my perfect console. My guest today is a Scottish musician, producer and pop star. In 2003, while studying at the University of Strathclyde in Scotland, he met Martin Doherty, who asked my guest to produce a record for his band, the two remained friends and later joined the post-rock group Ariagram. In 2007, after Ariagram disbanded, my guest bought himself an analogue synthesizer. And four years later, he and Doherty joined up with the music journalist and singer Lauren Maybury to form the synth pop group Churches. After gaining word-of-mouth attention online, Churches released their debut single, which broke into the UK singles chart. Since then, the band have toured the world, played to millions, released four studio albums 
and in 2019 provided a song for Death Stranding, Hideo Kojima's game about a post-apocalyptic delivery man. Welcome, Ian Cook. Simon, Simon, sorry, sorry. Um, okay, they, it was, I didn't meet Martin until a lot later. Okay, so it, this is good. Let's live fact check let's, this. Yeah, let's live fact check this. Okay, okay. <laughs> So yeah, Ariel Graham. What he he didn't he sort of joined right at the end, right? Um, yeah, yeah. After we'd been going for about um, <laughs> seven or eight years, but no, it was my friend Craig and uh, Campbell <laughs> who <laughs> who started Ariel Graham, and then they had Martin Scott on drums, and then they asked me to join, and that's where the, all that stuff okay started up. And then yeah, and then there was like a decade, was a decade of touring and, and making music. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So after that, everything else was correct. But just <laughs> send the record straight on that. Fact check. So you didn't meet Martin at uni? That came after, I did, did meet Martin at uni, yes. Okay. Um, I, I sort of finished uni and then went on tour with Aerogram for um, most of the sort of early noughties, mm-hmm. um, up to, I think the band sort of quit in 2007, but um, I met Martin at uni. He was there as a student in 2000, and I think we met in 2005, and I was sort of back at uni doing a master's degree and, and teaching there. Oh, okay. And mm. uh, so he was one of the students, and we became really oh, good pals, nice. and I started producing uh, stuff for his band at the time. Yeah. Um, and we really hit it off creatively and ended up, um, you know, we were making the last Aerogram record, which was called My Heart as a Wish That You Would Not Go. Yep. And uh, we got Martin in the studio to help out with sort of like engineering and arrangements, and, and he became like a really important part of the the group and mm. toured with us as well on the last uh on the last album tour um and yeah and and on that on that sort of last tour when everything was kind of falling apart um martin and i sat down and we we're like let's do something let's do something new something of our own and mm. kind of you know aerogram was was the sort of band where beardy men went and sort of you know stroked their beards and <laughs> i was at your last gig actually you were our last gig uh, uh, i was I didn't have a beard at the time, but uh, but I might as well have, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, eventually, yeah, it was four years later. Um, we we met up. I, I'd bought the well, it's not here the synthesizer that I bought, but uh, uh, and then we started putting together a kind of almost like a kind of synthy shoegazy thing. And I was producing Lauren's band at the time, uh, Blue Sky Archives, who's the singer of Churches. And uh, and I'd played a demo to Martin, and he was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> her voice is amazing." Uh, maybe we should get her in to do some backing vocals. Um, and so we had like four or five songs and we were recording uh, her backing vocals and, and just I sort of muted the lead, which was Martin singing at the time. And and it was one of those moments where, you know, you're just like, oh shit, that's that's the sound, you know, that's the sound. How did, how did Martin take it when you... I mean, he was, uh, I guess, at that point, like the lead singer. He was the lead singer. When you muted his track, I were like, "Oh, hang on, this is this sounds like what we should be doing." Did he take that well? Well, we both we both sort of realised at the same time. While she was actually recording the vocals, we sort of looked at each other with our, you know, eyes wide open. And right. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, this is this is the thing, and um, and then it and then it just kind of grew arms and legs from there, and um and uh, and we went sort of full force. Okay, listen, we we'll, we'll, we'll get into some of that uh, those days a little bit later. Let's um well, firstly let me just say thanks so much for doing this because I know you've just been away on holiday and you're just got back last night and you're super jet lagged. So, thank you. A little you. woozy, let's say, but um you're very yeah. welcome. It's great. It's great <laughs> to be here. I've been I've been really enjoying the podcast so far. I just listened to uh, Dara's one this morning, so it's lovely. Oh, thanks, man. Are you do you find that you're jet lagged most of the time? <laughs> A great question, and uh, the answer would be yes. Yeah, it actually seems to get worse the older I get as well. Like, right, you think yeah. it's one of these things that you can kind of get used to and take it in your stride. But we were in uh, Australia um, just after Christmas there, and 
for like two weeks i just felt like death you know it was the worst yeah. feeling ever never left the hotel really other than when i absolutely <laughs> had to for a gig or whatever but yeah there's there's no easy way around it i've tried everything you know people say okay don't eat on the plane you know eat when you're hungry sleep when you're tired and all that and you know get up in the morning and exercise and get a certain amount of sunlight and the you know whenever it's just like nope none of it works it's all yeah. awful <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's almost like human beings weren't designed to whiz around that's the planet it. that's it exactly it totally fucks your whole um biorhythms and you know all of those kind of cycles that are just completely turned upside down and it's just part of the job i suppose yeah yeah and you recently were in we're in tokyo because you sent me some pics of you hanging out with kojima how was that how was the new because i think when you were there they just finished their new offices what did it look like Fantastic, yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's the whole floor that the, the Kojima Productions are on now. I think they moved up a floor, is that right? Um, one or two floors. Yeah. But, oh, it's amazing. I, I, I dread to think how much money they spend on doing that place up. <laughs> it's almost, there's a whole section of it, which is almost like a, a Hideo Kojima museum now. And then it's just got like glass <laughs> cases with all sorts of signed memorabilia and that seems on brand for fame. <laughs> it definitely. One of the things I love most about him, though, is is he's a he's a fan. He's he's a yeah. nerd, you know, just just like we are. And um, and it's just great to to sit with him and talk about what movies he's seen. We rarely talk about video games. Actually, it's mm, mostly yeah. movies. And he's such a he's such a movie yeah. guy. And and her, our tastes are actually quite similar. Yeah. So, but he's a, yeah, he's a lovely man. He's always him and his team always look after us very well when we're in uh, in Japan. So yeah. You've met him, haven't you? You've met him a few times. Yeah, I think I was there probably a couple of months before you while they were still finishing it. So, um, but yeah, you know, exactly as you say, he's pretty nerdy. Anyone who follows him on Twitter <laughs> knows that he's constantly posting about whatever he's done. But um, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it was very sweet. He had a he had a copy of my book then when I went to see him. And it was like that was it was really thoughtful, like things like that, you know, just like you say, a little bit supportive, even though. <laughs> yeah, but it makes you feel like I, I guess when you've been to Japan, it's probably tons more than I have. But um it, it just makes you feel like you're at home and you're welcome, you know, when yeah. you have somebody like that that really um, goes out of their way to, to, to make you feel, you know, at ease and at home. It's, it's, it's a lovely experience. Yeah, nice. Okay, so the format of the podcast says I'm asking you to pick your five video games you're going to put on this games machine and market to the world. Yeah, just tell us about how you went about picking your choices and then and then also what your first one is. Well, you, you asked me a month or so ago and uh, I've been thinking about it in the background constantly because, you know, it's a very serious thing to be asked, isn't it? Because I, I guess the, the answer to these questions says a lot about you as a gamer. And um, and I, I want to properly represent myself and my taste. So, um, so yeah, I've just been I've been making lists and lists of of like you know going through chronologically all of the consoles and computers and things that I've owned and like making a list of the games that kind of hit me the hardest and that I've loved the most over the years. And uh, and and yeah, I mean, I think since since I started making the list, I I, I kind of picked a, a five just off the top of my head. And even though I went through and listed everything, that was. The list really didn't change. It was the same, pretty much, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, as I said to you, like I was hoping, I was hoping to have some slightly weirder choices. But it turns out that, um, well, I don't know. Well, I won't, I won't spoil anything at this point. But <laughs> it's all Super Mario games. <laughs> it's all, totally, yeah. totally. No. <laughs> um, but the first, the first game that um, that I chose is a game is a a shoot 'em up game or a shmup as some people like to call them. 
Um, and and it's uh, uh, made by a company called Cave. Uh, it's called Dodonpachi Daioju. I don't know if that's how to pronounce it. I think so, yeah, yeah. Is it? Okay. Um, and, and that I've chose that one particularly. I mean, th- this is kind of representative of a love that I've had since, I guess, probably Space Invaders in the late 70s, early 80s, where um, of, of shoot 'em up games, it's, it's always kind of been my go-to genre, I guess, um, out of them all. And the funny thing is I'm actually not that good at them. <laughs> <laughs> actually quite bad. But it hasn't seemed to um, have deterred my my passion for them, and I, I mean, I think out of all of the, if you were to look at my YouTube history, I think most of it is kind of like about shoot 'em ups and like super plays and stuff like that. And uh-huh. this is the year that I decided finally to um, stick with one game and really get good at it. And um, I'm making slow progress so far, but. Um, and I'm not making excuses about, you know, being older and having a bad reaction times and all that. But uh, em- emulation is a bit of a, a dirty word. And I do actually have the arcade board, well, the P- PGS cartridge. I can see it's on behind you right now. On the- it is. I was playing a little before you came on. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've been using sort of like the Steam Deck and emulation and save states for the first time, trying to sort of like replay certain parts of, of each of the, the, the levels and, and get used to the patterns and um, and really just get, you know, get better at it. I suppose. Get good, finally, at, at this game. Uh, and this this is the one I've chosen to work on this year, and um, it's been going okay so far. Yeah, it's a stone cold <laughs> classic, and I mean, so for anyone who doesn't know, Cave makes these. I suppose, like you know, Cave shoot 'em ups are to space invaders what human beings are to single cell <laughs> organisms, or something it's like an that. Interesting it's analogy. like the very. <laughs> it's just like the very end part of the evolutionary yes. stage. Um, or, you know, they are, yeah, they're, you know, it's all about you control a spaceship and you're dodging incoming bullets, but that that makes it sound, that reduces it from what it really is. I mean, these are, for, pe- for people who know, if you know, you know, when yes, it comes to cave yeah. games, right? There's a, it's a small community, but, you know, I I think they're some of the best games ever made. Um, I think so. Just incredible, aren't they? And, and the one you've picked is is widely considered, you know, one of, if not the best of the Dodon Patch oh, games. I did mispronounce it, okay. Dodon Patch, okay. Well, I don't know. That. <laughs> I didn't pronounce it like that because, like, in the Saturn version, there's, like, a guy that goes, Dodon oh. Patch. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know if it's meant to be onomatopoeia like that or whatever. But. <laughs> well, I like it. Anyway, um, yeah, and I guess on the surface, you would, uh, uh, you would call them a, a sort of subset of shmups. You would call them bullet hell games, I guess, yeah. um, in reference to the sort of wave of like you know incredibly complicated bullet patterns. And uh, mm. but beyond that, um, the the thing that that marks them apart from one another, I guess, is is the systems uh, at play, the scoring systems, and the chaining systems, and the hyper systems, the bombing systems, and they all have quite subtle variances in those systems that um, make them really different to play, even though to like, you know, an outsider, I guess, would look at them and say, oh, well, it's just, you know, dodging bullets and shooting and blowing things up. But as you know, there's a lot more going on. And uh, yeah, this is the one that I've chosen. It was between that and uh, Ketsui, which uh, is another, (laughs) as you you 
say Stone Cold Classic and regarded as one of the best. But I think uh, I think this is this is the one I'm, I'm finally gonna one CC uh, to use to use another term yeah. like one credit like no no continues you know. But I haven't done it yet. They just they just announced I'm not a remaster, but they're they're bringing it out again, aren't they? For for PlayStation Five, I think. And they are. Yeah, M- M- M2, M2 doing it. M2 yeah, with short triggers. Yeah, they're the ones, aren't they? That do such fantastic um, updates of arcade classics. Yeah, and, and the great yeah. thing about them is is they have these mechanisms in place, like to like the training modes and stuff, where you can replay certain bits of each stage and really get them under yes. your fingers. Yeah. Um, which we didn't really have the luxury of when we were growing up. I guess important, you know. Like I guess I played a lot of um, import um, shmups on Xbox 360 and PS2. Which these discs go for a lot of money now. I guess yeah. they did at the time, but even even more so now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they didn't. They were kind of. They didn't really have any bells and whistles like that that I'm aware of. You know, it was just kind of like pretty much straight ports of the arcade games. Yep. Uh, but I'm looking forward to that to that re- reissue because then I'll be able to sort of do it on the go uh, a bit more readily. Yeah, me too. Yes, yeah, and like you say, you can just like pick out like a 10 second section of a level, can't you? And just play it on repeat. It's the only way until you like learn it like a <laughs> like a piece of complicated classical piano music or something, isn't it? So. <laughs> You're right, though. It is. It's like it is. It's like learning a piece of music, isn't it? Uh, there's so much uh, involved in terms of memorization and. And also, I don't know, are you aware of this guy, um, Mark MSX on YouTube? Yeah. He has this channel yeah, called yeah, yeah. The Electric Underground. He's a sort of young guy, um, very enthusiastic, very literate um, in the genre. Yeah, I like his videos, really yeah, good. Yeah, he's great. And um, and he's also really encouraged, um, give me a lot of, not personal encouragement, but through his videos um, about how to get better. And, you know, things like, things that you kind of do intuitively, like um, ways to sort of draw fire to a particular side of the screen or area of the screen that creates sort of, gaps for you to to work through complicated bullet yeah. patterns and uh yeah. consolidating things that i've sort of known for years but haven't really ever become part of part of my technique you know shout out to him he's he's an amazing um inspiration and and and, and also a really great sort of figure for the community even though it's still quite a niche you know genre uh, i think he's, he's bringing in a lot of new younger players and, yeah and there's been a bit of a revival on the nintendo switch isn't there of lots and lots of yeah, you know, old shoot 'em ups coming out for the Switch, but also some new, new ones, indie as ones. Well. Yeah, some yeah. great ones. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's weirdly a, a really good time for to be a fan or or to get into shoot 'em ups for the first time yeah. if, you, if you haven't tried them. Yeah, definitely. So, t- tell me about um, what you were into when you, when you were a kid. You you grew up in Whitburn, is that right? <laughs> Which is sort of in between Glasgow and Edinburgh. Have I said that right? No, you have totally. No, it's, it's called. Oh, it's pronounced. No, it's this. You're Whitburn. You're right. <laughs> it's just <gonna laughs> it's pronounced to Don Patch. Yeah, that's that's where I grew up. Um, pretty much my whole life until I sort of moved to Glasgow in the early 2000s. I think I moved to Glasgow and I've sort of been in Glasgow ever since other than I spent like a year and a half in New York and moved back to Glasgow again but it keeps pulling me back Simon it keeps pulling me back yeah. but um, yeah Whitburn is, a, is, is, a, is like a, a mining town in between Edinburgh and Glasgow like my grand, my granddad was a, a coal miner and stuff like that and oh right mm-hmm. it's uh, it's yeah it's it's weirdly one of these towns which um, like Whitburn and, and the surrounding towns of you know like in a sort of two mile radius have a I have so many sort of musical people, um, like uh, Louis Capaldi uh, no is way. from Whitburn. Um, these guys uh, that just had a number one LS system uh, with Afraid to Feel there from just a mile up the road in Longridge. Really? <laughs> um, Susan Boyle from Blackburn, two, two miles along. <laughs> wow. Um, the guy who's the head of Fender, 
worldwide, I think, is uh, is from Whitburn. There's just like all no these way. people, this tiny little... Something in the water. Tiny little tent must be. <laughs> uh, lead, probably, a high content of lead in the waters. It's a very acute form of brain damage that applies specifically to musical ability. I don't know what it is, but... Um, I'm grateful of it anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. And what, what did um, so your grandfather was a miner? What did your dad do? Was there work around there? My dad, my dad was a um, social worker when I was born, and then he ended up being uh, running a bunch of sports shops. Which is, yeah, um, he was really into football and stuff, and it's kind of the reason why I absolutely detest football with a passion. <laughs> um, uh, my mum was a, a school teacher. Um, but they were both very musical. My dad, uh, as a kind of weekend job while he was a social worker, used to be a sort of touring musician with a, a Scottish country dance band called the Tartan Lads, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably one of the best names for a Scottish band. Yeah. You know, if we didn't go with churches, we might have gone with something along those lines. I don't know. Sounds like a, a a pub that only appears during the Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. The Brigadoon of pubs. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. And um, so so were they were they happy for you to get involved in games? Did they buy you a system and all of that stuff? Uh, I think I think they were pretty. Um, I don't think that they really paid much attention. They um, right. I, I feel like I was going to say that my first sort of home computer system was the ZX Spectrum in nineteen eighty three. I think I got it. It came out in eighty two. I got it in 83, but actually before that there was a, you know, I don't know if you remember these little uh, Binatone systems mm-hmm. plugged straight into the TV and they had a couple of paddles and they had, you know, they were like Pong and mm-hmm. it was different versions of tennis, <laughs> different <laughs> versions of Pong, it was really, really basic and that, you know, that didn't, that was kind of a novelty, it didn't really hook me in that much, but a, a friend of my family's had a guy called Cliff had a, a ZX Spectrum and, and I think the first game I saw him play was like Horace Goes Skiing which was uh, kind of started off the first level was a bit like Frogger and then it flipped to like a slalom thing where you would sort of come down the screen um, and then you would get this go back to the ski shop and you'd go up and try and cross the road again to get to the ski slopes and uh-huh. it was you know, just a kind of two level arcade game I mean, it's, it wasn't the greatest, but and then he had a, a Pac-Man clone called Hungry Horus, and he also had a game called uh, 3D Ant Attack. I don't know if you remember yeah, that. Yeah, uh, It's a kind of <laughs> isometric. I mean, to call it 3D was a bit of a, a stretch, but it. But I guess it, it was in a sense because there was yeah. a bit of depth to the gameplay, and you could hide behind walls, and and that was cool. But that, but that was when my passion for video games really ignited. I think when I got that, because um, I I played it around the heads, and then I was like. Mum and Dad, you need to get me this computer, and they were like, oh, "It's a bit expensive," and I was like, "Please!" And, uh, and I knew that they got it because they gave me the the manual, uh, sort of in sort of October, September, October, nineteen eighty three. And I remember just like reading it and trying to learn basic, so I could you know do some programming. And <laughs> wow, basically, I was just using it to to um, sequence like "Happy Birthday" with beep commands, you know. Oh, like that's so 10, cool! Beep thirty comma, and it was like you would put in beep was the command for making a sound, and then you had like. Uh, uh, integer that was like the pitch and then one that was the duration right and, right. Uh, and so every, every line was like a new beep command and the spectrum was like a monophonic like it just had a tiny little tinny speaker and it was just yeah. like one sound at a time but yeah that was that was my that was my first real sort of passion and I became obsessed with did it did you do any composition on there or was it just happy birthday and then you moved on it was a bit of a cumbersome way of making music um, sure but it wasn't until I don't there was a few years into the, the life cycle of the machine I think it was about 85 they they brought out a, a video game well, a, a program called uh, Wham Music Box uh-huh. uh, you know the, the band Wham with George yeah. Michael and uh, 
And it was the first time that I'd heard the Spectrum attempt any kind of polyphonic sound. Uh, and it did it by sort of interpolating beep commands super fast. So it sounded like it was playing a oh, chord, right, but yeah, it yeah. wasn't playing a chord. <laughs> and this actually had like a like a, a score, like a musical, you know, stave where you could, you know, it was like a visual interface. You could drag right. and drop notes. And, oh, you um, could. And oh. I did a, yeah, I did a bunch of stuff on that, but it was still a terrible first sequencer. You yeah. Know? You can only do one note at a time. That's one quite a, time. That's a <laughs> severe limitation. Very much so. But it was cool because it came preloaded with all of the wham hits like Club Tropicana and stuff like that. They were so <laughs> bad, but at the time it was like, oh my god, this thing can play chords, you know. <laughs> okay, should we should we come to your second game, which I think is from two thousand eight? Can you tell us about this? Some when you first played it? Uh, well, the, this game is uh, Street Fighter Four. But really, I think it goes back to um, Street Fighter, Super Street, oh, Street Fighter Two on um, Super Nintendo. So, yeah. uh, Street Fighter Two Turbo uh, was it called Super Street Fighter Two? I can't remember. Anyway, oh, there were so there many, so many, there. and they were all like Championship <laughs> Edition, Tournament Edition, you know. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I think maybe I'd I'd played the um, I played the arcade a bunch certainly uh, before I had the home console version. But when I got, the, I was quite late getting a Super Nintendo. It was sort of right at the end of the of the life cycle of the machine before they started when they started talking about the Nintendo sixty four. But I was quite late to the party. I'd sort of fallen off video games a little bit before that, just because I was really into sort of playing guitar and then sort of playing in bands yep. and then discovered women and <laughs> or girls, okay. I guess, at the time. Um, but but this is sort of what drew me back, you know. It was like a Secret of Mana, Chrono Trigger. Oh wow, okay. Getting, into the, getting into the RPG, the Japanese RPG yeah. side of things. Import games, yeah. Came it came bundled with uh, Street Fighter Two Turbo, and I just played that to death. I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, it's a great version of the game, and and I played, you know, I've played pretty much all every version of Street Fighter on every, on every console apart from really the first one I never really played the first Street Fighter very much it was a different beast wasn't it very different yeah you mentioned my arcade cabinet before and I, I had uh, I imported the, the Street Fighter 3 third strike board at the wow. time which cost an arm and a leg I didn't have very much money I was like I need to have this but really it was when um, Street Fighter 4 came out for the Xbox 360 I just threw myself back into it again and I think it was probably the first the first Street Fighter game I, I got anywhere near good at. I thought it was, obviously, as you do playing against your friends, you think that you're probably a lot better than you are. And that's something that changes when you start playing online and get absolutely trounced and you're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm really bad at this. And I could never really break through that ceiling. Like I was, you know, I think it takes the kind of dedication that really didn't have the patience for. I had lots of time, but not really the patience for it, for that sort of level of um, persistent humiliation. <laughs> yeah, in a way, it's it's sort of like the shooter maps we were talking about in that these are both stars of game. Fighting games and shooting games are games that you progressively get better at over a period of years yeah, and yeah, decades, yeah. right? It's like a really long journey to towards proficiency. Um, it is, it is. And... 
I think that's in is sort of my gaming. If if there was an epitaph for my gaming uh, career, it would be um, that I always kind of chose games that I w- that were way above my pay grade in terms of my <laughs> abilities as a gamer. But I kind of like that in a way. It's something to aspire to. It's something to sort of like yeah, you know, dedicate your time to and um and 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 see as you say incremental progress, but nevertheless progress and. Definitely the feeling of beating your friends who who could beat you previously and then you price, 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 and then you absolutely thrash them. It's mm. one of the best feelings in gaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, that feedback loop is really immediate in fighting games and shooting games, isn't it? And that you, you know, with a with a shooting game, you just literally get a few meters further, don't you, in the, in, <laughs> up the screen. And with uh, fighting games, yeah, it's like the the person you couldn't beat yesterday, you can now beat just and it's uh yeah it's so satisfying isn't it that journey exactly and even with the online thing like if if you're if you go from sort of winning one every five matches and in, in whatever tier you're in to like winning three or four out of the five then you know that is an enormous feeling of of achievement um it's uh, not really something that you can share with anyone else or get any badges for or like you know it's just something that's good that's for you and you know that's what gaming is for me it's like it's something for me that is quite separate from my professional life as a musician you know it's, um, it's something that's entirely mine and even though there's been some crossover you know with the aforementioned Kojima thing and you know we did a Mirror's Edge um, song as well like it's it's always been kind of separate for me it's like don't touch this this is mine <laughs> yeah right right but yeah, get back to, to uh, Street Fighter Four. Like um, again, you know, to to the uninitiated, it's just two sort of avatars throwing punches at each other and knocking each other's health bar down. But uh, as with the shmups, it's 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 about the innovative systems that they put in each iteration of the game. And and uh, Street Fighter Four had this great mechanic called focus, and you would hold down the medium kick and punch buttons, and uh, either if you held it down and then released it, it would be a more powerful attack, or if you got hit while you were focusing, you would absorb the attack, and then you could like, or or you could even cancel out of the focus by dashing. Um, and so there was like a really flexible little system for like uh, faking and like escaping tricky situations or yeah causing some pretty big damage um, yeah. and he took that out for Street Fighter 5 but I, I always kind of mourn it that's why I didn't choose Street Fighter 5 for, for my console yeah. uh, choice because there's just something about that flow and the way that it works and the way that it captured my imagination at the time as well yeah. it was just the perfect game for me yeah it was a big comeback as well for the series because Street Fighter 3 had come out uh, what like a decade earlier, yeah. and there had not, or nearly a decade, and there had just not really been anything, and no attempt, or no proper attempt to make a big three D game. And then it comes along, and it was so exciting, wasn't it? And they'd absolutely nailed it. I remember that sort of period really fondly of the excitement around Street Fighter Four. That's right, yeah, and and also Street Fighter Three um, kind of got a bad rep for being too kind of impenetrable for new yeah. players yeah, because yeah. the the system with the the parry system which was uh you, you had to kind of tap forward i think um, yeah, to absorb an attack to absorb yeah. a hit but the timing on that was so the window was like what was it two or three frames it was super super tight yeah and uh it's great to watch somebody who's good at it you know the obviously f- the famous video with uh daigo and justin yes. Wong. it's great to watch but to be able to pull off that is just way beyond yeah there's a <laughs> tiny percentage of people that can perform at that level yeah absolutely um and and street fighter 4 was something that brought it way more into the sort of mainstream and, and made it easier for sort of older players or newbies to sort of to, to dip into again when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And... So you, we talked a little bit at the start about um, you being in bands and and all of that stuff in your in your twenties and joining Aerogram and um, you know that had obviously been a, a dream for you to to do that full time as as your profession and you know what kept you what kept you in that space because I suppose a lot of young people have that have that dream and then for, you know when it when it gets really difficult fall away from it but you persisted what's what'd you put that down to Aerogram was at the beginning of that band there was a little bit of a buzz around the band when we when we put our first singles and then into the first album there was a a small but significant buzz around uh, in the UK and in Germany and in America we got signed to Matador in America so we had the chance to go out and tour a bunch there as well as in the continent in the UK. So that was, I mean, most people that I know who play in bands don't even get to that point where they where they get to tour America and travel and um, and see that little right. bit of success. And I think maybe it was that. I think it was yeah. maybe, oh, this is kind of achievable if you have the right um, songs and the right band and, and it's the right moment for that band. And um, almost 10 years of doing that, of, of, of mm. touring and writing that sort of touring, the writing touring um, cycle, it just became sort of my way of being and um and when that band split up I was like, Oh, I'm done, I'm done with bands for now. And then uh Craig, who was the singer and, and main songwriter in the band, um, he sort of he did a sneaky on me. He was like, uh, oh, I've got I've got some songs, can I come over and maybe record them? And, you know and of course it gets to, Oh, do you wanna try a little thing here and a bit here? Before before you know it, like we're co writing and co producing an album and that sort of uh, took shape and, and became a new band that we called The Unwinding Hours. And so, yeah, when that was done, that was when uh, Martin and I sort of finally got together that summer. I think it was summer of 2011. Um, and I, the, the Moog, it was a Moog Voyager and a Juno 106 that I'd bought. And uh, Had you not been into synths before then? I mean, I couldn't really afford to, to get into sort of analog synths and stuff at the time. Uh, you know, like... Yeah, expensive game. It's an expensive game and, and we didn't make any money really at all with Aerogram. It was just, you know, like a couple of hundred quid here and there and that was yeah. that was about it. But, you know, we were we were passionate about it and that's kind of what drove us through the, the difficult times financially. But um but yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I was always, I've always been into electronic music and then I guess that summer 2011 that I really wanted to do a project that was that really had no bass and guitars because that was, you know, mostly what I did in the in the in the other bands. Uh, and it was just purely electronic. And um, Martin was in a uh, Martin Doherty was in a similar place at the, uh, at that time too, but he was listening to a lot more sort of pop music and sort of um, sort of quite hip 
hipster electronic music and blog music at the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we sort of, yeah, we just got in the studio with no real rules and no real um, intentions other than let's see what happens. And uh, yeah. And at the end of the first day, we had sort of two songs and and uh, and sort of fired them over to Campbell, who was the bass player in Aerogram. He was like, "Oh my god, you guys need to really keep doing this." And he'd played it to a friend who was a DJ in Australia, at, uh, one of the radio stations in Australia. And he sort of, well, I think he walked by his his room while he was listening to the demos and was like, "What the hell is that?" And so <laughs> holding the phone up, it's <laughs> like, "What is this?" And uh, and he became uh, the manager of of. Uh, what was to become churches once once that sort of started to, to to sort of come into its own. So it's around this time, I guess, that the third game on your perfect console comes out, maybe slightly before, but I'm not sure when you were playing it. But anyway, do you want to tell us about it and uh, how you got into it? Yeah, well, the next game is uh, Final Fantasy fourteen. So when did it come out? It was like 2010, I think, with the first yeah. version of it came out. Yeah, which had loads of problems, didn't it? Loads of problems. And 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 eventually, I don't know how long it was running before they basically scrapped it and rewrote it and then released it as A Realm Reborn. I don't know when that was, but I didn't really get into it. I think it was 2017. And I was living in New York at the time, and I just had a, a sort of summer of, of nothing really. Um, in the calendar, which was really rare. I think we were sort of in a writing phase with the band and we'd all sort of moved out to New York. Lauren had moved there first and then um, I had moved there and then Martin had moved there. So we were all in New York trying to make this record. And I just, I, for some reason, I finally decided to get into an MMO. I, I've always avoided, like when the whole World of Warcraft thing was happening, uh, you know, everybody was like, oh God, you have to play this game, you have to play it. And and I just saw them losing their entire lives to this game. Yeah. It's, they're such... Very dangerous. They're such massive time sinks, you know? <laughs> Uh, and I was like, nope, 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 I don't want to do that. Um, so I kind of held off for the longest time, even trying an MMO. And uh, and and that summer, I was like, I think it was 2016, maybe 2017. I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in. And it immediately, just became completely consumed as I thought, as I kind of hoped I might as well. And and it was also kind of an escape. That there was a lot going on in my head at the time as well. And you know, I think that this is something I keep coming back to with video games. It's like. It's, it's a real kind of escape. It's, it's a way to sort of escape things that, you know, if you've got anxiety and depression and stuff like that, you can really absorb yourself into this sort of world. And uh. and, and it's such a fully, like Final Fantasy fourteen in particular, is such a fully <laughs> realised world. And the music is fantastic. The, the, the systems are so deep. The story is incredible. I mean, it tails off a little bit towards the end of the first sort of uh, Realm Reborn campaign. Uh. I guess, you know, just trudging through these fetch quests eternally but um but there's just so much to love uh, about it and I, and I lost myself in it um and I continue to like I'll sort of drop in and out of it now but I'm, I'm just about to start the last of the expansion packs so I'm almost up to date <laughs> <laughs> like five years later and I think I don't know I must have about 600 hours or something yeah. on it and uh, it's probably nothing compared to people that you know that play it all the time but for me that's you know that's, yeah. that's quite a lot yeah I mean I like what you say about the 
particularly Final Fantasy fourteen A Realm Reborn, you've got all these little missions. And like you say, they are they are quite simple, like fetch things. Like a character says, look, you know, go and get some wood off like the carpenter on the other side of the village or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But like it takes, I don't know, four minutes and then you get a da-da-da and they're like, Ding. it gives you all of that <laughs> lovely stuff. And it just breaks all of those problems in the world into really manageable chunks and you could just get through like a to-do list really quickly. Yeah. And it feels so good, especially if like in your life outside of the game you're wrestling with some big questions or whatever that just feels so unmanageable sometimes a game like that can just be it can just calm you down and go actually like this we can get through this just got to break it down a bit yeah you're absolutely right and and i find as well when you're doing kind of repetitive tasks like that um that aren't too they don't require that much brain power or thought you're processing things in the background yeah. you know it's, it's like a form of meditation i find this as well like I, I really like motorbikes and that's something as well that that i find because you're so focused on one thing you're super alert and super focused especially on like a long ride you know it's not it's not really a way to forget your life it's a way to sort of process it without being sort of swallowed up by it yeah. you know what i mean because you're so focused on this one task and and you get to the end of it and you're exhausted and you just want to lie down and but you feel like you've kind of gone through something yeah right right and and, and there's and it is sort of like that with with a bunch of the games that that i like yeah you're putting all your like cognitive power onto one very narrow task which allows like you say your subconscious to sort of get to work on the other bigger stuff <laughs> in the background yeah and it's, it's soothing it's soothing as well you know it's like the music and the visuals it's all very gentle and very you know there's no real time limit but yeah no, it's, it's super soothing and, and that's definitely um something about particularly final fantasy 14 with the music and the world it's a beautiful world and and i love the character design and and the interaction with other people, even though it is essential as part of a MMORPG, there's a lot that you do yourself in that game. Um, and I think they're they're making it now where where a lot of the dungeons, where all of the dungeons will, the story dungeons will eventually be populated with bots if you want. But I, but I do think that there's something really nice about um, joining up with other people. Even it's, I mean, I don't really know that many people that play the game, but it's really fun, like being part of like a free company, which I guess is their clan. Uh, yeah, yeah. Was it like a clan or something like that? Um, and you know popping on they're like oh hey how yeah. you doing good evening good morning like how's it going you know just like gentle <laughs> there's no real expectations for for that relationship it's just like a, a check-in with these random people who yeah. like the same thing as yeah, you do it's nice. i guess it's Very nice good. it's nice so you uh as you say you, you start churches and it rapidly like you say you were coming to the fore at that period of the internet when blogs were a big thing it was actually i sort of really missed that time but that was true in like games but it was also true in music yeah. there were loads of like really powerful blogs which would be constantly finding great new things and you really benefited from that thing didn't you um how did how did it feel becoming famous when you were like in your 30s because because i suppose you'd been um you know like let's be honest you're now like the kind of person that will get like a piece in the daily mail about who you're dating or something like that it's that so that's the world you operate in like (laughs) sorry if you didn't know that but that's the kind of thing that happens right and um you know i suppose when you experience that when you're in your early 20s like some pop musicians do that's one thing but but you'd had a lot more life experience how did that feel you know getting all that stuff at that stage of your own journey i mean i find it quite funny uh in a way um yeah martin and i i'm quite i'm quite a bit older than martin i think like eight years older than martin something like that yeah and he's like about seven five seven i can't uh-huh. remember years older than lauren so there's there's this such 
bizarre sort of age spread in this band. And and it's nice in a way because, you know, there is definitely an element of ageism in um, music particularly, well, not all music, but in pop music particularly, you know. I mean, I don't really get recognised that much when I'm out and about. At the start of the band, yes, you know, um, people would shout, you know, churches or whatever, or they would be like, are you the guy in churches? And it happens like very occasionally now, but I mean, it's really... I feel bad for Lauren because we sort of dragged her into this world. Um, un- unwittingly, we didn't know it was going to be as successful as it turned sure, out to yeah. be, and neither did she, but she agreed to do <laughs> it. And she often blames us, you know, she's like, you dragged me into this. Uh, yeah. And and she, her life is very, very different, I think, in terms of the things that she can and can't do. And, yes. you know, she you know she has security in, in her home and stuff that I don't need to bother with because, yes. I don't know, it's just a, it's a whole mess of... It's kind of fucked up, really, how yeah. how celebrity, for want of a better term, affects your day-to-day life. And, and I, I guess I'm lucky to be a part of this and, and, and to be a musician in that space and not really have to deal with all of that shit. But I really feel yeah. for, for her because she's kind of the, you know, the young face of the band and the front person of the band and, and, and she gets a lot of that unwanted attention and we're there to support her as much as we can but at the end mm. of the day it, it's on her shoulders a lot of it and, and that's kind of difficult to, to sit by and watch. She wrote a great piece didn't she for The Guardian, this was probably 10 years ago now but about like all of the misogyny she experiences you know is from ooh, I guess from randoms on the internet as much as anyone but um, that's got to be quite hard as her bandmate and friend to witness witness her going through that stuff it is yeah and and as much as like i said we can sort of be there at our side and and support her as much as we can um at the end of the day it's directed at her a lot of the time and mm. it's it's very very difficult to sit back and watch it and, uh, and sometimes you know sometimes i just want to say just like delete all of your social media accounts and don't look at that shit because mm-hmm. it's never going to change but she she cares so much about the people that and uh, the people that do care about the band and um, I don't know having like a some kind of connection with these people um, is really important to her and, yes. and but one come one thing comes with the other and, yeah. and I don't think that there's any real way of separating them unless you like employ somebody to like go through like filter out all of the the trash yeah and, yeah you can it's like you can find it anywhere you want to and um, yes. even when you don't want to find it it'll find you and it's. Uh, it's really quite disturbing and I don't think it's something that you can ever really get used to as a human being because you're just, you know, like anybody else, doing your job to the best of your abilities and, and it comes with all this bullshit, this extra stuff that that doesn't really make any sense. I think about it a lot, I suppose, and, and I think the people that do that, they, they just want to be seen, they just want to be close to something that's bigger than them or that's more successful than them or to be a part of it even if it's a negative part of it it makes them feel yeah. validated in a way and yeah i'm not sure i'll ever really understand it but i i'm again i'm really really lucky that um that i personally don't have to deal with a lot of that stuff yeah. other than the occasional daily mail article like you say <laughs> now that you've announced that you've got a third strike board in your house you might need to up your security <laughs> I sold it on eBay when I was skint years oh, ago, sadly. I don't oh, have any. It. I wish I still had it. I wish I still had it. But um, I, yeah, I don't know how much they're going for. Now, do you, do you have any uh, insight on that? Yeah, they've rocketed up because they're because because it's still popular and it's really popular on the tournament scene. So yeah, to get the um, CPS3 board it is, isn't it? I think now set you back a thousand pounds or something like that so okay so yeah. that's like over 300 i think i got it for about 300 quid at, oh, bargain, uh, at yeah. the time so that would have been you like you couldn't do that now 2009 something like that yeah 
Oh, well. This has turned into the Antiques Roadshow. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, um, why don't we come to your, your fourth game? Can you tell us about it? Okay. So, yeah, the, the, my fourth game is Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. A game, another game that I discovered much earlier in the in the franchise, you know, along with Street Fighter. I think my first, my like, obviously it was the the Super Nintendo was the first version of Mario Kart, uh, which I didn't really play that much to be honest I, I, until like much later on. But it was really when I got the GBA, the Game Boy Advance, um, and there was Mario Kart Super Circuit. I think was a launch game for it, and I just became obsessed with it. Um, and uh, we were making, I think it was like 2002-ish, 2000, and, yeah, and we, Aerogram were making our second album, Sleep and Release, and that became the thing to do in between takes, um, was time trials, and it was, you know, I remember, you know, if Mar- Martin had to go and do a drum take, uh, and I was sitting, you know, trying to beat his time on Peach Beach or whatever it was, and then he would come out and I would do a thing and he would have, and it would just go around the four of us, you know, just shaving like a tenth of a second off the, the last time and sort of learning the best lines and shortcuts and uh, and so yeah every version of that game has become like a, a sort of time trial um, championship with my sort of friend group oh nice to the point to the point now where there's like a whatsapp group and there's like everybody from church well people from churches and the church's crew and uh, people from Franz Ferdinand and like friends of mine and there's there's like a big group of people now that there's uh, on whatsapp so whenever there's a new like pack comes out a track pack for mario kart mm. there's another whole time trial thing and and it's just like a, talking about falling into like a time sucking vortex like there's nothing like that game to just destroy your free time <laughs> uh, but it's a great game to play on tour because like you know you can just oh. like m- like the, the thing about being on tour is there's so much downtime you know in 24 hours, like, it's filled up with travel and, you know, interviews and um, sitting around and, you know, going from one place to the next and uh, sound checks and uh, it's just, yeah, and then, you, and then you're active for, like, two hours of the day and then that's it. So there's yeah. a ton of time to fill up. Um, and so that's that's what we do. We'll, we'll, choose, we'll choose, like, one track for two weeks and then everybody will, like, and then you, you post a picture of, you know your screen when you get your time and then the next and then upload your ghost as well that's a key component because yeah. like you can your best time is saved as a ghost on, on the yeah. machine and then you can upload it to the server and you can see all of your friends best times and then you go and download their ghost and you can race against their ghost and it's just like an incremental oh my god I just beat your time and then there's lots of smack talk and fun it's a really really fun uh, game and uh, I choose Mario Kart 8 Deluxe here because I suppose in my head it's kind of the most complete version of Mario yeah. Kart. It's uh, there's so many tracks now, and they're just uh, they're in the process of releasing three or four new track packs throughout the year. Yeah. Um, Coming up to Christmas, isn't it? This yeah, year? yeah, and they're absolutely brilliant. It's kind of like the greatest hits of Mario Kart, right from the Super Nintendo, every iteration of the game up till today, plus some new tracks. And and again, it's like with what we were saying about Final Fantasy fourteen. It's like the the colors and the world and the character design, and there's just and the music. It's just such a joyful kind of endorphin drip of 
happiness to it. And I think it's out of all of the games that I've chosen um, here, I think it's the only game that I'm kind of good at in <laughs> these yeah. five. Um, not like, you know, top 10 in the world good, yeah. but among you know, that WhatsApp yeah, group. Top, top, you know, top, <laughs> well, I think, you know, top, top few, few, like a thousand or something nice. like that in the world. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something. <laughs> achievement. I love it. So sort of like the arrangement you have with your friends and, um, and colleagues is, it's sort of like really contemporary, but also quite, retro in a way like but it's old school you're posting your scores even though you're using all of this technology to do it but yeah it's uh <laughs> it's amazing nice but that's i feel like that's what we're always trying to get back to though isn't it like especially with uh fighting games and competitive gaming like uh the feeling of being next to somebody at the same machine and and kicking their arse or having yours yeah, picked yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, uh it's just it's kind of what gaming's all about it's like trying to get back to your teenage bedroom i guess yeah. when you had no cares in the world and, you know, everything that feeds into the nostalgia centers in yeah, your brain. Absolutely. Yeah, no matter like who you are, whether it's video games or it's like, or vintage cars or whatever, or like toy railway sets, everyone's got their thing, haven't they? It reminds yeah, them of that time. When the, 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 middle, the middle age crisis <laughs> thing as well, you know, midlife crisis, yeah. Yeah. getting there. So we, we talked <laughs> right at the start about you uh, working with Kojima. Can you just tell me what was... How did they get in contact with you to ask you to write that piece? Was it something you'd already written that you gave them or did did they give you some directions on what they were after and all of that stuff? No, um, we hadn't written it. He we he had asked us, we, uh, we were going to be in Tokyo playing shows and he'd asked us to come by the studio and uh, he would take us out for dinner. So we went and got sushi and... Um, and he, and he showed us around the studio, which was, uh, as we said earlier, a bit smaller at the time on a different floor in the, in the Sony building, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah so. next to it. Yeah, yeah. Next to the yeah. building. Um, yeah, and uh, he, was, he, he just said he was a big fan of the band and and asked us if we wanted to contribute something to, to his new game, Death Stranding. And, and he showed us, you know, he sat down with us in his studio and sort of played us through the first, or, or like a 45 section for 45 minute section of the game and talked us through it and um and it was we our minds were just blown because obviously nobody in the world had really seen this yet other than maybe a, a launch trailer or something at the time and um it was fantastic to be that kind of you know his center of operations getting uh, again shown this game and he was just uh, he was just talking us through like the his sort of philosophy behind what the game meant to him as well like being a the idea of connectedness and sort of building bridges between people and who and I guess it was kind of of a reflection of his views on of of an online world where people are sort of like to get together in a sense but separate um, and and I guess maybe politically as well how, how you know in this age people are are kind of quite polarized and quite mm. kind of tribalized and and how really what we need is someone to build these bridges to bring people together so that there's like a kind of discourse again where people can debate and, and <laughs> I don't know it's, it's kind of part part of a broader conversation I guess which we probably don't have time to get into but um, that really touched us as well and and, um, and and struck a chord and and so we went away he didn't really give us any direction at all he was just like go, <laughs> go and write a song Martin had come up with the initial demo and uh, melody <laughs> um, and then we I think we were on tour at the time and we were sitting in the we'd, we'd made a little back back room at the the back of the bus we'd built a little studio with these tiny little genelec monitors and our laptop and an interface and 
and uh, him and I would set up the back working on the arrangement and um yeah I think we worked we worked on it sort of on and off for for six weeks or so and then sort of once we got to a place where and then Lauren sort of put the lyrics down and and we got to a place where we we're like this is good kind of bare bones demo of where we're at what it's going to sound like and we sent it. I mean, we were absolutely terrified <laughs> when we sent it. Had to give you homework. <laughs> you don't know. He's good kid. Everybody, guys, this is shit. <laughs> but no, he came back and he loved it, and he said it made him cry as well. Which, yeah, I mean, it's quite a, quite an emotional song. I think it, from the the construction of the melody to the lyrics, you know, it's a really really hopeful and euphoric kind of message. Like, and and that that very much came from us actually sitting in the room with him and hearing him talk passionately about his idea for the game and um, you know where it's all coming from. So for him to come back with that and basically no notes whatsoever. Uh, so we just sort of finished the track up and, and got it done. And he was like, okay, so we're going to use this for the end credits of the game. And we're like, what? <laughs> so nice. And that was, you know, that was a really beautiful moment because I, you know, grew up playing uh, Metal Gear Solid and, you know, Silent Hill and and really massive fan. Like every time he comes out with something new, we're like, what is this mad genius going to come up with next, you know? Um, so to be a part of that is, uh, I mean, we're just really lucky. Sometimes it doesn't even feel like it happened, like it's real. But especially in that jet lag, lag state of like meeting, <laughs> meeting him, and then composing the back of the um, tour bus it feels like a dream. I expect. Yeah, I think that's the only way state in which it sort of makes any sense. This, yeah. this, you know what I mean? It kind of feeds into the madness of this life of the last ten years. It's just like. Is this real? And I know that when it's all over, when we eventually decide that, you know, we're done with, with the band and we're going to move on with the rest of our lives, if if, if and when that ever happens, we'll, we'll look back and go, that was a really trippy time. That was a trippy decade plus, you know. But it's been it's been a lot of fun um, so far and lots more to come, hopefully. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, let's uh, let's come to your fifth and your final game. Can you tell us about it? The last game I've chosen for my console is Tetris Effect. Again, like the, the the other two that we've discussed, um, having a long lineage and history of playing that game. Yeah, I played it a little bit when it first came out on the or when it came out on the Game Boy, as as everybody did. But I never owned a Game Boy for some weird reason. I think I was kind of out of the way of being really into video games at the time, and uh, I'd played it a bit, you know, with, um, on my friend's machine. But it didn't didn't really sink its teeth in. But it wasn't until the um, the DS version came out. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was the first one to have like local multiplayer. Oh gosh, Mate, possibly, yeah. I couldn't say for certain. <laughs> I'll need to look. I'll need to verify this one. But again, this was a this was a tour. This was a yeah. tour game, and it was uh, in the back of the van with Aerogram. And I think there was uh, everybody at this point had a DS. I think there was like four or five DSs on the on the van, and I think you could connect like up to like right, six yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. And competitive Tetris. Oh my God, that's a whole. That's a whole level of, of a madness. 
and uh, and and we just got so so good at it, and, and it got really it got really vicious. <laughs> played it obsessively. Yeah. Played it to death. That's a game that I wish I was like world class good at because when you see when you see yes. these people who are like you know the, the world champion guys, you can't even it, see just, what like, they're doing, can you? Yeah, I know, I know. And then there was the what was it the the grandmaster? Uh, there's a there's a version by Arika, I think the uh, Tetris the Grandmaster three and. Uh, I think when you complete the, the main part of the game, it goes into this kind of credits mode where you can't see the blocks that you've put down. So you're basically going on memory of all of the blocks that you've dropped. And and these guys are block are dropping like a hundred pieces per minute. Oh my goodness. And and it's just like how how are you doing that with an arcade stick and two buttons or three buttons? Like how it's something I mean, if you haven't seen this, you need to go and look it up. Yeah, I'll pop on YouTube. There's loads of great videos there, yeah. Pop it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so anyway, so the, I, I chose this version because this is, I guess, in some ways, the most sort of complete version of te of modern Tetris, I guess, to make that distinction. Because people still play the old Nintendo one, uh, NES one competitively, don't they? I guess people would say that's like the purest yeah. form of Tetris. Tetris Effect is like the art school version of Tetris, is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I guess all versions of modern Tetris have the sort of hold mechanic yeah. where, you know, for example, if you get a block that you can't use, you can put it on hold uh -huh. and then sort of keep that in the back of your mind to use when you need it. Hacks, like me playing it, probably always just hold the the eye-shaped yeah. ones because those are the ones that kind of get you out of jail if, yeah. you're, really, if you're really in a in a bind. But it, this is the game where the... So it's by Tetsuya Mizuguchi, isn't he? Who made, Miss, uh, yeah. who made Res. And it's the first one where the music is really... I mean, Tetris music's always been important, but in this game, it sort of elevates the whole experience, right? Yeah, correct. So, um, uh, yeah. So, uh, again, Mizuguchi's pretty famous for his sort of games that marry video game systems and music. So you're, like with Res, when you, every time you target a, a, a ship or an alien on the screen, uh, there's like a sort of hi-hat sound. And if you sort of like, I think you can store up to eight targets or something. And then uh. when you release like it, there's like a flurry of hi-hats and like different uh. explosions. And, and it quantizes the all, doesn't it? So it's all in time with the music. Exactly. So it feels, uh, the idea is that it sort of feels like you're writing music as you play. And I guess the better you get at it, and this, this is uh, true as well with the Tetris effect, the better you get at it. The more Tetrises you get, the the faster it gets. the the more The more nuanced and complex the musical score becomes, and um, and it, it's it's fantastic when it's when you when you get into that zone and and you're really nailing it. It's it's quite a unique marriage between all of those art forms. Uh, that's really quite hard to describe, and it's especially good if you get a chance to play it in VR. Uh, and it's just like the yes. whole world is kind of enveloping you, and you've got the headphones and. It's quite a trippy sensory overload experience, and uh, it's just it's a masterpiece. And then, and then they did a version of it, um, Tetris Effect Connected, where you can now play multiplayer. And of course, this you know it's, it just opens up the madness again. And yeah. I, again, like with Street Fighter, I was like, I'm getting really, really good at this because I can, you know, you can see your your sort of drops per minute coming up, and your lines per minute coming up, and, you're, and the numbers sort of slowly creeping up when you when you get better at it. And then I played my friend at it who was like, oh, I haven't played Tetris in years. I'm probably, you're probably going to kick my ass. And I was like, yeah, probably am. Let's, let's go. And then he, and then he schooled me and I was like, I, what? Like, I thought I was, I thought I was getting good at this. And then, you know, <laughs> and then you go back to sort of learning, you're back to school. <laughs> yeah. Sort of learning how to get faster and sort of more advanced techniques. The T-spin is still something I can't get my head around setting up. Can you, how do you explain a, the T-spin to the uninitiated? 
So, uh, okay, so this is the block which is three on the bottom and then one yeah, in it looks the like middle a above yeah. it. Yeah, and as it's the idea is if you've got like a little cavern hole in your Tetris wall, <laughs> right? You can slide it in sideways, and, and then if you hit the button at the right time, it will click it will into flip place and fill the gap. Yeah, but it's a, yeah, I know what you mean. It's a bit of a head it's mess. Really, isn't it? and it's sometimes really, sometimes I like turn it the wrong way, and <laughs> yeah, it's really yeah. hard to set up. And if if you can see the you know the people who are really really good at it, they have like a you know the screen is basically full to the top, except from this little sort of curving lane down the center. Uh. And uh, and that's where they sort of like tap the T and sort of work its way all the way down to the bottom. And I'm saying, hey, how can you do that? <laughs> but um, one of these days, maybe next one year, one, if I get my one CC on Dodon Dodon patch, <laughs> Dodon patchy, DDP, DDP. <laughs> if I get that this year, then uh, next year is maybe my T spin uh, year. So I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Amazing. Right, so Ian, let's go through this. You've got your five picks are Dodon Patch, <laughs> Dai Uji, or DOJ, they call it in the community, don't they? Thank you, yes. Uh, then uh, Street Fighter 4, Final Fantasy 14, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, and Tetris Effect. That is a solid console, I reckon. Something for everyone on there. Um, what do you, We yeah, we need to give it a name to market it to the world. What should we call this one? Coming up with names is the hardest thing, Simon. Like yeah. it was, it was You're good at it. It's relatively easy to come up with a name for that. You came Sorry, up with, with a it. name that is uh, that's completely Googleable, even though it's a word everyone knows. That's, uh... <laughs> but you have no idea the, how, how difficult it was to come up with that name. Like we deliberated for weeks and weeks and weeks to come up with churches. What, Eventually, what were some of the other options? Oh my God, there were some horrendous ones. Um, come on, let's go. Well, the, the, the next, the next, Next sort of front runner after churches was I think society. Which, okay, which, <laughs> shit, isn't it? It's pretty shit. Uh, video we free <laughs> for the E at the end. <laughs> oh good. Uh, video violence, screen violence, screen violence was actually oh, one yeah. that we ended up revisiting for yeah, our, our that, fourth churches album. And there was one, uh, one of the one of the worst ones uh, I think we came up with. It was Lauren's idea. Sorry, Lauren. Was it lo- lovely owl? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that we wouldn't be sitting here talking about a decade plus career in music if that, that was sounds, uh, That sounds like a, a hit iPhone game. <laughs> Lovely owl. It's all the rage. <laughs> yeah, totally. Flappy owl. Uh, and, but we, we eventually ended up having to lock ourselves in a room and vow not to leave the room until we had come up with a name. And, and it was like three in the morning and we put our sort of top picks into a hat or something and, and then we're like right whatever we pull out here is going to be that and we pulled it out and we're like no that's terrible <laughs> and then eventually churches but it was churches with a U like first and and uh, of course as you've already uh, intimated uh, it, it's not a very giggleable name because we come up with you know churches I think um, yeah. and, and then we thought okay I think somebody this our friend Amy, who is uh, a friend of Campbell, our managers, was coming up with a logo for the band and had sort of stylized the U as a V, and we thought it looked cool, and we thought, oh, why don't we just roll with it? And, yeah, you know. But anyway, that's uh, that's an aside to your difficult question about the name of my perfect console. So should we call it Lovely Owl? Lovely Owl. <laughs> I, no, sorry. What was? <laughs> I was thinking of when you asked me this the other day. I was like. I don't know. So I decided to name it after one of my pets. Uh, I've got a cat called Pickle, and I'm going to call it uh, Pickle Vision 5000. Yes, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so many people have put like a 5000 at the end, even though <laughs> I don't know any 
<laughs> game consoles that have done that for 5, a really 000. long time. Well, I love you it. You did two six hundred. So that that might be nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very good. Okay, pickle vision five thousand. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> right, I've just got one last question. I'll let you go because uh, you've been really generous, and I know, yeah, I oh. know you're, you're tired. <laughs> but um, that's so good. This is woken me up. This is great. So I saw. Uh, this is a question I, I thought because I went to a gig the other day and I was wondering about this. So I, I saw actually a video of like Prince's first ever gig he did uh, when he played Purple Rain. So it was like, I don't know, 1983 or something. It's a really good video. You can like could look it up on YouTube, but he's playing at First Avenue. And um, man, it's just so exciting. And there's something in the, the, the performance that he gives where you think, oh, he's like doing this for the first time. He's really excited to play this song to the crowd. It's like super electric. And I was thinking, when you're like a touring band and you're on on date twenty six, how do you how do you and you've played the song so many times? Like, how do you keep that excitement? Do you have to? Do you think that ever comes across to the audience, or does it always feel like the first time, or do you, is it sometimes just doing a job? That's a really great question, and uh, yeah, I, I think about this a lot. I think yes, you can. You can absolutely phone it in because you've done it. I mean, if I think about you know. The Mother We Share, which is probably the most identifiable of the songs that we've written. And we must have played it, you know, well over a thousand times now. Um, But it doesn't, and yes, it's muscle memory, of course. Um, You know, you could do it in my sleep, and I'm sure that the same is true for my band members. But there's something really, it just doesn't feel right. Like, I think think you have to get yourself into a, a place when you perform where you're giving you're giving some energy to, to the audience. And, and, and I think it's really reciprocal because I think if you do, if you're having an off night and you're just like, oh God, I really, I'm so hungry or I want to go to bed or like I'm tired, I'm hungover or jet lagged or whatever. I think you can really feel that the absence of sort of reciprocal <sighs> energy from the crowd. And, and I do think that, that every single time it's worth giving of yourself, whatever that costs, whatever that takes in order to feel that yeah. sort of flow of energy and and man, that never gets old. It just doesn't, you know. It's different for every. It's different in a festival. It's different in a small venue or like a theater or an arena. Like it just like and and every, and it's different in a in every part of the world. You know, every crowd has it brings its own completely different energy, and it's uh, it's really one of the the joys of doing of doing what we do. And um, yeah. and it, it always keeps it interesting. And I don't know. I don't know yeah. how, but it does. I'm glad to say. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I sometimes feel that with writing as well. You learn the mechanics of like writing a story, and then, but you have to put some skin in the game. You have to put some of your, you know, you go put something in you have it, to. and that does somehow come across in this mystical way. Yeah, when you when you're making things, totally, totally. Yeah, and and it's also like you and I both are are in really privileged positions in that regard. You know, to to be able to have that platform for our voices or for our spirits or whatever it is we do creatively it's, it's a wonderfully privileged position to be in uh, and so yeah it's good to be mindful of not taking that for granted at any point you know yeah. um, and it, it does it does give in return in, in many ways you know it gives back Ian this has been so good thank you so much for, for coming on and chatting to me and um yeah, it's been great. Thanks for inviting me. It's, uh, I would, uh, I'd obviously do a lot of interviews uh, around music, but um, I would happily talk about video games all day, every day. <laughs> so um, it's been a joy. Thank you very much, Simon.
Ian Cook, everyone, what a marvellous human being. How wonderful to hear his five excellent choices for his console. I still think it should maybe be called Lovely Al, but uh, yeah, we'll go with his. We'll go with his pick for now. I particularly just enjoyed hearing about what role, what place video games play for him, the space they occupy in his life. A little bit of a retreat, perhaps, from the uh, storm that is his life day to day at the moment, while he's in this, you know, world famous band for however long that. That lasts. I'm sure it will last for a long time. I'm not suggesting anything with that, um, but I just, I just mean, isn't it interesting that uh, games can offer him that little site of refuge to spend some time in while everything else is going on all around. Um, I don't think Ian is is on social media, so you you can't follow him, but you can, of course, listen to his band's music. Not only Churches, but the other bands he's he's been in that uh, we talked about. And like you said, you can follow his bandmates. Um, Lauren as well is on Twitter, I think. If you do follow her, don't be a jerk. (laughs) I think that came across in that section of the interview. I guess celebrity has this sort of warping effect on us, doesn't it? But um, yeah, it's just people trying to make their way, trying to do the best work that they can. You can follow me on Twitter at Simon Parkin, although as I'm recording this, I'm currently locked out because someone tried to hack into my account last night. Uh, so hopefully I'll get get that restored shortly. But you can definitely follow My Perfect Console, the podcast, My Perfect Console with the O's removed from console, where you can get previews of who the next uh, guest will be every Friday. We do I do a little clip for the guest the following week. You can also become an early access subscriber to the podcast for just £3 a month or $3 or €3, wherever you are. Uh, Less than the cost of a cup of coffee, all that stuff. You can support the podcast, you'll get ad-free episodes and you also get the chance to download them uh, 24 hours before the general public and you get your own special podcast icon for it as well. I know, what a bargain. Um, So, yeah... And it remains for me to say next week I'll be back with one more guest, their five games, and one more perfect console. Until then, have a wonderful week. Goodbye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.